I feel like I've gone from being a writer to being an author, and there is a difference. And I feel that I've consolidated my effort in a way that's been meaningful. Welcome to Queries, Qualms, and Quirks, the weekly podcast that asks published authors to share their successful query letter and discuss their journey from first spark to date of publication. I am your host, author Sarah Nicholas, and literary agent Sarah N. Fisk. Donna Gordon is a Cambridge, Massachusetts-based writer. She graduated from Brown and was then a Stegner Fellow at Stanford, a Penn Discovery, and a Plowshares Discovery. She was a 2017 Tennessee Williams Scholar at the Sewanee Writers Conference and a Fellow at the Vermont Studio Center in 2017 and 2018. She received the 2018 New Letters Publication Award for What Ben Franklin Would Have Told Me, which has been named by the Independent Book Review as one of the top 45 they're excited about for 2022. So please welcome Donna to the show. Hello. Hi, thanks so much for having me, Sarah. Good to meet you. Hi, we're going to see if I can edit out the thunder that just <laughs> rolled over in my intro there. <laughs> oh, bummer. So we're going to talk about your journey to publication. We're going to start by going kind of all the way back to the beginning. When did you first start getting interested in writing? And then how long did it take from there before you started getting serious about pursuing publication? When I really think about it, I was writing poetry in junior high and high school and in a pretty focused way, I'd have to say. And then when I got to college, I did a poetry writing workshop with Michael Harper, who sort of became a mentor to me. And he was very demanding and tough on us about looking harder at our own truths and working harder to edit. So I think that that was my first really serious experience as a writer, writing poetry. And then I did publish some poems in literary magazines, and I had some early success there, which spurred me on. And then I was a Stegner Fellow at Stanford, which I was very lucky to be there. And I was still writing poetry, but the friends I made there were mostly prose writers. So Mm -hmm. I was influenced by them, and my sentences got longer. My poems became prose poems, and then eventually short stories and then the novel. So it was sort of an evolution, but it makes sense looking back that that's how it went. Nice. Can you tell me a little bit more about the moment that you realized that you wanted to be a published author, you know, that you wanted to see your book on bookshelves, you wanted to take that path? I think I was always ambitious. I think I felt that I needed to take things as far as I could. So when I was 17 and writing poems, I was named a Plowshares Discovery by the poet George Starbuck, who I had taken Mm -hmm. a workshop with. He had published books, the people in the workshops, they were actually graduate students when I was an undergraduate. And I felt the desire to have my own book. I felt the desire to publish. I believe that everybody writes something that's valuable. I really Mm do. But I think that for myself, I just sort of needed some sort of further documentation. And I really wanted to publish and I really wanted to have my own book. I just felt that desire and Mm. hunger. Nice. I like that. Yeah. So once you decided to take it seriously, how did you learn more about the publishing industry? Like how to query, how it works, how to go about it? When I was very young, I had gone to the Breadloaf Writers Conference as a poet. And I met 
some pretty serious people there. I did a poetry workshop with the poet Donald Justice, and it was a very focused group, both the writers who were there conducting the workshops as well as the poets and fiction writers who were in attendance. I would say it was sort of hierarchical and sort of competitive, but Mm. at the same time, it made things a little more concrete. It made things a little more believable that one could get there. And so I think that was the first sort of reality check that I had in terms of what it would take. And it was pretty competitive just to be accepted into that workshop. And then once there in the workshop, people were very focused about their work and a lot of people had already published. So I think that experience was very influential. All right. So then what happened? Can you break down for us your journey from then to signing your first book contract? I say I've had a long journey getting my first book published. I I published several poems just by being really dogged and really focused. I worked after I graduated from college and after I'd come back from Stanford, I made a lot of sacrifices. I worked part-time as an editor, and I worked Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I set my schedule up that way so that on Tuesday and Thursday, I could go to the library and I could work on my writing. And I was very disciplined about it. I really took it seriously. I revised my work as much as I felt it needed. I was in a small writing group, and I, I really felt that that was the most important thing in my life at the time. It meant the most to me. And I lived in a rooming house where I had mice and I had kinds of, my stove wasn't connected to a chimney. I burned a hole in the wall. I (gasps) I shared a bathroom with people. I slept on a mattress on the floor. I made tons and tons of sacrifices. I was financially independent. I didn't receive any other kind of funding from family. And it was just me and my desire to write. And I spent a number of years doing that. And I was publishing poetry. And then I did have sort of a big interruption in my writing life. I got married. I had children. (laughs) My husband had his own business. And I was really sort of on my own, taking care of the family. And it was harder and harder to write. So I stopped writing fiction for a while. I freelanced for the Boston Globe magazine. I wrote features and some short fiction and personal essays. And then I also wrote a novel during that time. And that novel almost got published. I was reading the magazine Poets and Writers. And there Mm -hmm. was an agent on the cover of Poets and Writers, a woman named Ellen Levine. And I wrote to her. And bingo, she wanted to represent my first novel, Cave Mm -hmm. Paintings which did not wind up getting published, but I was asked to rewrite it three times, once by Gordon Lish of Knopf, who called Mm. me and told me how excited he was about it, and then, of course, (laughs) disappeared, and then Mm. once by an editor at Soho Press and a third editor at Chronicle Books. And all three of them came close, asked for revisions, and then didn't wind up taking the novel. At that time, I had also sent a short story to Roger Angel at The New Yorker. And it was a two-page story that I sent over the transom that he actually responded to, told me I was like Samuel Beckett, asked me to rewrite it, and then didn't wind up taking it. So there were a lot of sort of painful near misses that were part of the journey along the way. Cut to, I'm 65, so cut several years later. I had started writing poetry in my publishing in my 20s. 
And now after my kids were older, I started another novel, the current novel called What Ben Franklin Would Have Told Me. And this is the novel that was just published by Regal House. I started writing it in 2012. It was bought by Regal House in 2019, but it was just released on June 8th of 2022 mm-hmm. because of the publication cycle, the production cycle, COVID, and just how things went. I was grateful to my editor at Regal House. My editor is actually the publisher. Her name is Janie Royal, but she and I work together pretty closely. And I definitely feel that our collaboration made the book better and stronger. And we probably cut about 50 pages during the course of the editing process, but I, I feel that the result is something I'm more proud of. So that was time well spent. Nice. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is time for the first cue of the podcast. Can you read your successful query letter for us? Yeah, and this letter that I'm going to read is one that I had been, I had received the publication prize at New Letters Magazine for a story called Primates. And so I mentioned that story in this query letter. There were a few different versions of this letter, which I I customized for different readers. So if I was going to send to one agent, I would check that agent's career and see who he or she had represented. And I would try to mention some of those writers in the first paragraph of my letter to say, you know, I admire these writers and my writing is something like that. Maybe you'll like my book for that reason. So this letter is one I wrote to an agent who responded to me after she read my prize-winning story in New Letters. And she wrote to me asking if I had a novel. Just about the same time, I had already been made an offer by Regal House, but I published with Regal House without an agent. And I was still sort of hungry for an agent. So I responded to this person after she read my story. And the Mm. letter is almost identical to the letter I wrote to the woman at Regal House who eventually published the book. Thank you for your response to my story, Primates, in new letters. It's kind of you to let me know you liked it and also kind to encourage me to send you more writing. I do have a recently completed novel, What Ben Franklin Would Have Told Me. Following loosely in the tradition of Mark Haddon's The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime and Jonathan Evison's The Revised Fundamentals of Caregiving, my novel follows the adventures of Lee, a 13-year-old boy afflicted with a premature aging disease, and his caretaker, Tomas, a former political prisoner of Argentina's dirty war. Tomas, recently released from prison, has come to the States in search of his missing wife and daughter. His wife, Violetta, was also among the disappeared and pregnant when abducted. Lee's mother, Cass, hires Tomas as a last-minute replacement caretaker and companion for Lee, whose best friend, Kira, afflicted with the same disease, has just died at 13 of a heart attack. 
Lee, an American history buff and Ben Franklin fan, has a final wish to visit Washington, D.C. and Philadelphia. When Cass has a last-minute work schedule change and can't take Lee, Tomas agrees to take him instead. Once there, Tomas must tell Lee the truth, and together they set out to search for Tomas's missing family. I have done a project with Amnesty International, Putting Faces on the Unimaginable, for which I both interviewed and photographed 15 people who were former prisoners of conscience and on Amnesty's speakers list. The essay was published in the Brown Alumni Monthly, and the captions and photos were exhibited at Harvard's Fogg Museum, Boston's French Library, and Tufts University's Wessel Library. I had also volunteered at Camp Sunshine in Maine, a camp for kids with cancer and also progeria, a premature aging disease. These two experiences came together in writing the novel. The novel was a 2019 finalist for Black Lawrence Press's Big Moose Prize, and the first chapter received honorable mention from Arch Street Press in 2018. It was also a finalist for the 2019 Key West Marion Russo Award for Fiction, a semi-finalist for the 2019 Hidden River Arts Eludia Award, and is a semi-finalist for the Yes, Yes Books Novel Competition. I'm also completing a collection of short stories, Lesser Saints, which was long-listed for Zank Press's 2019 Open Competition. Six of the stories have been published. I was a 2019 Writing Fellow at Brush Creek Arts, Wyoming, a 2017 Tennessee Williams Scholar at Suwannee, and a Fellow at the Vermont Studio Center in 2017 and 2018. I graduated from Brown, where I received the Kim Ann R. Stark Award in Creative Writing, was afterwards a Stegner Fellow at Stanford, a Penn Discovery in New England, and a Plowshares Discovery. Some of my fiction, poetry, and essays have appeared in Tin House, Plowshares, the Boston Globe Magazine, Story Quarterly, The Quarterly, Poetry Northwest, and Post Road. I was a finalist for the 2016 New Letters Alexander Capon Prize in Fiction and received honorable mention from Glimmer Train 2016 and 2017. My essay, Temporary Shelter, appeared in Sister to Sister, an anthology of sister relationships edited by Patricia Foster. Serving Up Equal Justice, My Adventure with Serena Williams, was recently posted on Medium. I'm happy to have you take a look at what Ben Franklin would have told me. Please let me know if you'd like me to send it. All right. Thank you for sharing. Sure. That's a mouthful. (laughs) So how has your experience been since signing that first book contract, especially let us know if there was anything that particularly surprised you? Well, one of the things that surprised me is that I gave away most of my rights to the book. I think that I didn't really think my book was going to be as successful as it appears to be becoming right now. I've gotten some really good reviews from the Boston Globe newspaper and the Martha's Vineyard Times and the Vermont Standard. And I've been on a a reading tour. My launch was at Harvard Bookstore in Cambridge. And people are responding very positively to my book. So some of the concerns I'm having now is that I didn't think I was going to have as many opportunities to do more with it as I might. So that was something I would have reconsidered 
I'm not sure mm. I would have had much choice in the matter. I think I just really needed to have my book published in order to move on. I think it, there were so many sort of near misses and almost and maybes with different agents. There wasn't a lot of consensus. I, I sent my book to a lot of agents and people wanted different things. Some people felt that the story belonged to my main character, Lee, and some people felt it belonged to another character, Tomas, and it was hmm. confusing to them whose story it was. So I think I just really, really needed to publish it and move on. And I did give up some things, but I also gained some freedom now. I feel like I've gone from being a writer to being an author, and there is a difference. And I feel that I've consolidated my effort in a way that's been meaningful. And so I, I do feel it's it's advanced my my writing life and my personal life to have published it. Mm. Nice. All right. It is time for the quick round. I call it author DNA, just classifications that we like to put writers in. Are you a pantser or a plotter? What was the first word? Pantser. Do you know pantser? No, I'm not sure what you oh, mean. Oh, okay. So basically the question is, do you outline ahead of time or do you just kind of write and see where it goes? Um, I'd say I'm both. I think I need to do both. Because my novel is a journey story, there was a structure built in. And so I had that sort of as an outline. But then in terms of each chapter, I was a plotter. Mm. Do you tend to be an overwriter or an underwriter? Over. Do you typically write in the morning or at night? Morning. When starting a new project, do you typically start with a character or a plot or a concept or something else? I often start with a phrase and then that becomes part of my first paragraph and then I sort of start to understand what I'm mm. doing. Do you prefer coffee or tea? Coffee. When you're writing, do you prefer silence or some kind of sound? Silence. Or my cat. When it, comes to, when it comes to the first draft, are you more of a get it down kind of person or a get it right kind of person? I do both, actually. So I'll write for a couple of hours and then I'll sort of refine that before moving on to the next stage. What tools or software do you use to draft? I just use Microsoft Word. Do you prefer drafting or revising more? I think revising is where things come together. So I would say revising. Do you write in sequential order or do you hop around? Generally sequential order. And final quick round question. Are you an extrovert or an introvert? Introvert. Definitely introvert. So now we're going to talk about the second cue of the podcast. What were some of the qualms or worries that you had on your journey and were they realized or did you overcome them or how did they shake out? I think going from poetry to prose was a huge challenge for me, but it was necessary. And so I think that I, I didn't study the formal elements of fiction. I studied the formal elements of poetry. So when I did deviate from poetry and become a prose writer, I really needed to learn a lot of things about plot and structure and character and story and dialogue. And that was, I'd say dialogue in particular was a challenge for mm -hmm. me, making it sound natural. But I would say also, you know, like believing that I could get to the end, that I could finish a story, that I could finish the novel, 
And also, I think letting people help, letting the people in my mm-hmm. writing workshop contribute ideas in a you know constructive way. I think that was important to be willing to hear them. Yeah. Now it's time for the third cue. Do you have any writing quirks? Is there anything about your writing process that you think is kind of different or interesting or unique? I'm also a visual artist. A lot of times I'll write in my quote unquote art studio, which is my converted Mm -hmm. garage. And I do like to sort of think back and forth between if I might be working on a painting or a print and how that encourages me to complete the arc of something I'm writing. So both writing and visual art have challenges to sort of get to a finished moment. And so when I'm looking at my art and I realize you don't have to have kind of a resounding end to something you write, you can have a quiet end or you can have something that is a shape as opposed to a highly structured plot. So I think that my mind sort of works back and forth between those ideas. So that Mm. might be considered a quirk. Yeah, I like it. Thanks. When you were in the lowest parts of your journey, whatever that it may have been for you, what kept you going and why did you stick to it? I've thought about that and I can tell you that it's really the music of language that Mm. I could not shut off. I could not shut off the desire to put words together. Mm. And so I felt almost physically in pain, not writing something. It was really, really Mm. hard for me to know that I had the desire, to know that I had practiced it and that it became something that I knew I was sort of good at working at. And then to have shut it off was pretty hard. And so I needed to write. I really did. And I didn't know that I was going to come up with this particular story in my novel, but I would say that it was a really powerful experience for me to create characters that can stand alone and that I didn't know I was going to be capable of that before I did it. Mm. And that was, that's pretty powerful even now. Yeah. Do you feel like you made any mistakes along the way that you might want to share with listeners? So maybe they avoid making the same ones. Yeah, I think so. I recently wrote a what's called the breaking in column for Writer's Digest. And I was asked to think about some of those things. Mm. And definitely for me, I did not believe in myself as much as I should have. I let other things sort of become more important than my own desire to write. And if I were to start over again, I would have fought harder for those opportunities. Although, you know, not everybody has those opportunities. Life is complicated. And when you have a family, it's different. And it's it's not easy always to put yourself first. But that for me in my life is the main thing. There were a lot of, a lot of delays. And I'm just grateful that I caught up and was <laughs> able to was able to complete this book because like I said, it's a big shift going from being a writer to being an author. And it's much more empowering to think of myself as an author now. Can you share with listeners one of the most important lessons you learned on your journey to publication? I had a lot of challenges with this book. There were a lot of things I had to do on my own because Regal House is a smaller literary press. So for instance, I have characters who are Spanish speaking in my book, and I was responsible for getting the Spanish right. So I had to call upon a friend 
who was bilingual and to ask for her help. I would also just say that it takes a lot of stamina at every phase of writing, whether it's writing the initial draft or revising or working with a copywriter or editor or publisher, and you just have to be ready to keep going. You have to be ready to do what's called upon to do what you know will be the best possible outcome for your words and your characters and your overall book. You can't give anything up and let things go to chance. You have to stay with it no matter how much, how difficult it is. You just have to ride it out the whole way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I call this the acknowledgements portion of the podcast. This is not a business that most of us succeed in completely on our own. So who are some of the people, organizations, or groups who helped you along the way? It was the people who believed in me at various stages in my life. So I would go back to elementary school and junior high school and high school. My English teachers were very nurturing and encouraging along the way, and they made me sort of believe in myself. As an adult, for this particular book, I worked with Amnesty International. I learned a lot through them. They helped me a lot. And, I, you know, my family, my husband, my kids, and some close friends who could see me struggling, and the women in my writer's group who helped me through the struggles. And like I said, being able to collaborate with people who can see things that I couldn't see. I think in particular, the people in my writing group who stood by me all the way from the beginning to the end. Nice. Like to thank them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Donna, before you go, is there anything you want to share with listeners about your work who may be interested in reading either your short stories or your novels? Yeah. I mean, I think that my novel, What Ben Franklin Would Have Told Me, is a powerful book, an emotional book. It's an unlikely coming together of characters. And I think people might be inspired by reading it. It's a situation that brings together two characters who have very sort of dark histories and challenges. And yet the book never felt dark to me at all. It always felt like my characters were going to rebound and become something more. So I'd love it if people wanted to take a look at my book and read it and let me know what they think either on Goodreads or Amazon.com, whatever it might. They can look at my website and see what I'm doing with the visual art. If people are curious, just let me know. All right, Donna, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with my listeners. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Good luck to everybody. Just stay with it. <laughs> this concludes season two of Queries, Quams, and Quirks. We will be back in early 2023 for season three. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Queries, Quams, and Quirks. You can find the text of Donna's query in the show notes, along with links to find out more about her and her books. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate if you'd help me find new listeners by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, telling your friends, or sharing this episode on social media. If you're interested in supporting the show, go to patreon.com slash pubtalklive. And if you're a published author interested in being a guest on the show, please click on the home base link in the description or go to sarahnicholas.com and click on the podcast logo in the sidebar. That's Sarah with an H and Nicholas with no H. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next year.